Hear the word of the Lord from Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is the word of the Lord. Peace be with you. Good morning, everyone. So today, uh, we begin a journey through the book of Hebrews that is going to take us all the way to Advent. And most certainly, this book is one of the most fascinating books of the Bible. Um, A number of years ago, I think actually 10 years ago to be exact, we thought about preaching through Hebrews, and we felt very confident that we could do it. I'm very glad that we waited to just be 10 years older before we jumped into this book. Not only is Hebrews a powerfully articulated celebration of the supremacy of Jesus, it's just overflowing, it's bursting with Old Testament references. Really, the entire story of the Bible is is baked into this single book, and so that really does mean that we have our work cut out for us. Again, I'm glad we waited. Traditionally, the book of Hebrews has been, has been attributed to the Apostle Paul, though we can't say for sure that that's true. But whoever the author is, it's clear that he expected his audience to be well acquainted with the characters and the institutions, the procedures and the laws, promises, and the scriptures of ancient Israel. But when he writes about how the Old Covenant and the new covenant interact and reveal through one another. When he writes about the Levitical priesthood and the Melchizedekian priesthood, when he talks about the distinctions between Israelite worship and Christian worship, he's he's not doing all that just to try and impress us with his amount of biblical knowledge. He writes these things for a very practical reason. He wants us to understand just how much better we have it now that Jesus has come. Hebrews was originally written to a group of Jesus followers, predominantly Jewish, who were living in Italy, Rome, uh, most likely. And this gives us really important context for understanding why the book of Hebrews was written in the first place. Why did Jewish Christians in Rome need to hear this particular teaching? Well, in the Roman Empire at this time, Judaism was a a state-sanctioned religion. It It was officially tolerated. So you could be a faithful Jew for the most part without upsetting any governing authorities. But the same was not true for Christians. Even though Christianity began as a movement from from within Judaism, it obviously had some distinct distinctive features. Um, the identity of Jesus as the Son of God being, being chief among those distinctive features. And so for these, for these Jewish Christians, there would have been a constant temptation to, to, to de-emphasize 
or, or conceal or perhaps even reject or deny the distinctively Christian dimensions of their faith. There would have been a constant temptation to, to downplay the difference between traditional Jewish belief, beliefs and practices and the beliefs and practices of the early church. And so the author of Hebrews systematically addresses this temptation by repeatedly demonstrating the preeminence of Jesus. Jesus is better. Jesus is unrivaled. Jesus is matchless. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is the culmination of all of God's purposes. Therefore, the writer of Hebrews says, do not abandon the faith. Do not fall away. If Jesus is the culmination of all of God's purposes, then to abandon him is to abandon hope itself. Let's read from our text again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. We're, we're really not used to New Testament epistles beginning like this. Um, it's different. There's no, to the church in such and such, or the grace and peace of God our Father be to you. There's no greeting. The author doesn't identify themselves. There's no named audience. It sounds more like a sermon or an oration of some kind. I'll be honest, when I read it a few weeks ago, it made me think of the Gettysburg Address. Four score and seven years ago, right? It's just... But some scholars believe the book of Hebrews was originally a sermon that later got turned into a letter. But regardless, the, the author really wastes no time. We are immediately presented with the first of many ways in which Jesus is preeminent. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So throughout the Old Testament, from Genesis 1 verse 3 on, the God of the Bible reveals himself as a speaking God. And that is incredible because that means that the God of the universe is not a force field God. He's not an impersonal force as though he were an it or a thing. He speaks creation into existence and then he speaks to his creation. The God of the Bible communicates with his people. He tells them who they are. He tells them who he is. He tells them he instructs them how to live, and he, he even tells them what he's going to do. And this is a wonderful thing because it really didn't have to be like that. 
God didn't have to reveal himself to us. He, he could have created everything and then just left us to figure it out, or he could have abandoned us the moment we rebelled against him. But the fact that he continues to be a speaking God is evidence of his graciousness. He cares about the world he's created. He loves what he's made, and that is very good news for us. But even so, there was something incomplete about God's communication through the prophets. The phrase, at many times and in many ways, is very interesting. It's kind of a play on words. It means, the phrase itself means in pieces. Maybe another way we could say it is that in the Old Testament, God truly spoke to us. But it was always piece by piece, not a whole, as though we were being handed pieces of a puzzle one by one. The Old Testament simply does not tell us all that we need to know about God and his redemptive plan for the world. And so because God is gracious, because he refuses to communicate less than we need to know, and because he desires to reveal himself in all of his glorious fullness in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. Jesus is the final and definitive word of God. God has now spoken the word of words. No further clarification is needed. No updates are necessary. No corrections are needed. The Bible is not outdated because God's word is never outdated because God is not outdated. Because of Jesus, we know what God is like. It's incredible. And because of Jesus, we know what God is doing in this world, and we haven't always known this, but now we do. Again, this is a very practical thing, God, is just like Jesus. Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, is just like Jesus. And if you have doubts, or if you're disturbed by the things that you read or see in the Old Testament and the New Testament, if you're struggling to understand, that is perfectly okay. The story of the Bible invites you, invites all of us to wrestle with God. But as you do, as we do, you need to remember that according to Hebrews 1, Jesus is what the God of the entire Bible is like. He is the final and definitive word of God. And so, if you have questions about God's goodness, look to the goodness of Jesus. If you have questions about God's wisdom, look to the wisdom of Jesus. If you have questions about God's love or his attentiveness or his faithfulness or his inclusiveness, look to Jesus. He is the exact image and imprint of what God is like. That word, imprint, it gives this image of like, if God were a giant piece of silver, Jesus would be the engraving. All of our doubts, all of our questions, 
are relativized and put into their proper place in the radiance of the exact imprint of God's nature, Jesus Christ. So what do we learn about Jesus Christ from these verses? Who is the Son of God according to Scripture? We are told that he is the appointed heir of all things. We are told that the world was created through him. We are told that he is the radiance of the glory of God. Jesus doesn't just have some of God's glory as if he were just Hercules, right? He is the radiance of God's glory. He is to the Father what sun rays are to the sun. Jesus Christ is God's glory in human form, as Colossians, as Colossians 2 says it. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. We're also told that he upholds the universe by his powerful word. We're told that he made purification for sins, and we're told that he is seated on the throne in heaven. He is king over all creation. In short, Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our sustainer. Jesus is our purifier. Jesus is our ruler. All things were created through Jesus. He is the creator of all things. And that means that he's not only the final word, he is also the first word. He is the beginning and the end. Jesus is the divine word through which all things were spoken into existence. But he didn't just create everything, he also sustains everything. He didn't create everything and then just walk away. He has always been personally present and active in the affairs of the world, exactly like Pastor Paul preached last week. In this very moment, just think about this for a second. I know that occasionally we think about this. Let's think about it again. At this very moment, as we sit here, as we breathe and exist, he is holding everything in the cosmos together. He holds the very existence of everything together. He is holding the cells in your body together and he is holding the stars in the heavens all by his powerful word. His word is his deed. His word is his power. And yet not too long after we were created, mankind has been walking around this beautiful and glorious world, staring up at this beautiful and glorious universe in awe yet too self-centered, too faithless, too distracted, too blind, too busy, too anxious to see and be aware of and to appreciate the creating and sustaining work of the Son of God. And so again, we need an even fuller revelation. And because God is gracious, because he refuses to communicate less than we need to know, because he desires to reveal himself in all of his glorious fullness. 
the Son of God, through whom all things were created, entered into that created order to be born of a virgin woman, to do the will of his Father, to love his neighbor, to preach the kingdom, to be ridiculed and rejected, and to give his life to be hung as cursed on a tree. Jesus is our creator. Jesus is our sustainer. Jesus is our purifier. And therefore, he is our rightful ruler. Jesus has all authority over the universe, not only because he created it and not only because he sustains it, but also because he redeemed it. And as Hebrew says, quoting Psalm 110, he will reign until his enemies are made into a footstool for his feet. Jesus will reign until the nations who are his are gathered and are his. He will reign until the death of death. He will reign until all of creation knows and experiences his peace and flourishing. So when Jesus sent his church to go and disciple the nations, it was based upon a reality that had already been established. Jesus is the heir of all things. Everything already belongs to him. The entire heavens and the earth and all that is in them, he owns it all already. Jesus is already the king of kings. It's an accomplished fact. That's what the writer of Hebrews meant to communicate when he writes that Jesus sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's, it's a picture of fulfillment. Jesus sat down on the throne. That's where kings sit. And when they sit down, their work is done. Jesus is the ultimate savior who ends all the sacrifices of former times because there's nothing more that can be added to his saving work. He is the ultimate revealer who ends all the revelations of former times because there is nothing more that can be added to his work of revelation. And so the mission of the church, our mission, brothers and sisters, is not a campaign to get everyone who doesn't know Jesus to vote for him so that he could be king sometime in the future. No, the mission of the church is to declare the universal lordship of Jesus whether the world accepts that lordship or not. And that must have been very good news to this group of first century Jewish Christians because what they faced was overwhelming. They faced ridicule and scorn, physical assault, prison time, the plundering of their homes and their lives. In this context, to follow Jesus was a potentially deadly commitment, and so they are processing the prospect of losing not only their own lives, but the lives of their spouses, their families, their children. And so yes, they were in danger of compromising just as we would be under the same circumstances, just like we are under the same circumstances. We too are in danger of compromising. 
And so over the coming months, Hebrews is going to tell us over and over again, hold fast to Jesus and his gospel. Hold fast to God's word. Hold fast to your confession. Hold fast your hope. Strive to enter the Sabbath rest of God. Have the full assurance of hope until the end. And how do we do that? We do that by lifting up our eyes and by fixing our gaze and by focusing our attention not to ourselves, not to our own inner strength, certainly not to our circumstances, which we really can't control, but to the creator, the sustainer, the purifier, the ruler of the world, to Jesus on his heavenly throne. He is God's final word. Jesus is God's final word, the definitive word. The son of God reigns right now, today, and forever. I have a little something I'd love to say to the, just the, the children of Sojourn. Will you, will you give me your eyes for just a moment? When, when things get difficult in your home, when things get difficult in your parish, when things get difficult at school or with friends, I want you all, I'm giving you something to do, I want you all to look at your parents or your friends or your family or your parish and I want you to say this, can we look at Jesus? Can we look to Jesus in this difficulty? Does that sound good? Just say that to each other. Let's look to Jesus. So brothers and sisters, do not give up. Do not give up. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord, the ruler of creation. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for being the God who speaks to us. We thank you for being the God who gladly reveals himself to us. And we thank you and praise you for being the God who sent his son to be our sustainer, our redeemer, our ruler. We ask you to provide strength and trust to all your saints here today, young and old, so that we might hold fast to your word and to Jesus our creator. Pour out your spirit on us all and so increase our confidence in you that we might be faithful in all you've called us to do. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.